Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusak, and with us today is Ciara Freeman. Ciara is from Cleveland, Ohio, where she's the current Lake Erie Siren and a teaching artist for the Center for the Arts of Inspired Learning and the Sisterhood Project in conjunction with the Annisfield Wolf Foundation. She is a 2021 Premier Playwright Fellow recipient with the Cleveland Public Theater. She's a 2020 Watering Hole Manuscript Fellow, a 2018 Winter Tangerine Chapbook Fellow, and a 2018 Poetry Foundation Incubator Fellow. Her first full-length poetry collection is titled Urbanshi. Her work appears in The Offing, Boat, Tinderbox, Josephine Quarterly, and elsewhere. She has toured both nationally and internationally, and she's the co-founder of Outsiders Queer Midwest Writers Retreat. She is also currently serving as the Cleveland Heights Laureate. Chances are she's by a lake thinking about Toni Morrison and talking to ghosts. In her spare time, she is growing her afro so tall, God can use it for a microphone and speak through her. Ciara, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. Could you please start us with a poem? I can. Um, so the poem I'm going to start with um, is a poem that is near and dear to me. It's one of those poems that... Um, is inspired by one of my favorite books from childhood, one of my favorite book series, which is uh, R.L. Stein's Goosebumps, but the Choose Your Own Adventure series. Which I just think is such a really cool concept <laughs> in a book to be able to choose your own adventure. I would be so sad if I fucked up and my father came back as a zombie which is something I have to remember when I pray for his return. My mother says, be careful what you wish for. And to be honest, I'm not really a careful bitch on average. When it comes to wishing, I'm even worse. I kinda assume the universe knows what I mean, even when I don't. So in case I have fucked up thoroughly, which according to the law of me is always a possibility I want to be perfectly clear in stating I want him back yes certainly without a doubt but not like that not with his brain stuck blooming like strange roses not a husk where the hole once was not someone asking me to kill him again I've been preparing for a zombie apocalypse in small ways, since I was 16, since my dad's blood smeared my childhood, his murder, an announcement that shit can and will get real. Dystopian and fantasy novels taught me adaptation is just one long magic trick. I have books I believe in more than most people as a kid. I read Arl Elstein's Choose Your Own Adventure. I would choose wrong the first time, all the time. My daddy would find me furiously flipping pages, holding back tears, eyes big like his, trying desperately to find my mistake. He'd ask me to stop. He'd say, baby oh, you're scaring us both. You got to let it go. And even then, I found it so hard to accept without a fight. 
Amazing. I love that poem. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> so, I mean, anybody who's heard you read knows the thunderstorm you bring in the room. I mean, you, you, you come in and you just sweep everybody off their feet. And so I want to start by asking you, how did you learn to project, inject emotion into your voice? And wh what advice do you have on others when it comes to just reading your poetry? I am still learning how not to do it. Ask my mother at 33 years old. I'm still learning how to um, try to take some, I guess, of that passion out of my voice. I could be talking about the weather and those next door will think that, uh, you know, I've just seen the zombies coming and they need to be alarmed. Like I do think I just inherently have that type of voice um, uh, that kind of, you know, I think I feel things big, even small things. And I think it comes across with how I read. So I think particularly when it's my poetry, when it's my actual emotion or my lived experience, my my passionate opinion, well, then that's even gonna, you know, that's gonna up the ante even more. That's gonna bring the passion out the voice. But I also, um, you know, full transparency, I started off in theater. Yeah, that's a C.R. Freeman fact that not a lot of people know. Um, I started off at the East Cleveland Theater as a kid doing readers theater. Readers theater kind of kind of preps you <laughs> to be able to read <laughs> really, really well uh, your poetry and others. Um, so I guess my first suggestion is how my, I guess my first question would be, how serious are you about improving your your reading as as a as a writer? Because if you're serious, serious about it, like this is something you want to take on the road or you're interested in, in having a really, really good audio book or, you know, whatever the case may be, you want to improve the features. I don't know. You're you're giving lectures and you want more engagement at the lectures. I don't know. My first suggestion would be to go to your local theater, get a theater coach get a director, uh, get an actor, anyone really truly who's in, you might mess around and find a costume designer who can give you some advice. Anyone who's truly immersed in the theater uh, can help. And I think there are certain like theater mechanisms that I learned when I was younger. And then also when I was in high school, I also uh, did theater. I did, I was a thespian all throughout high school. And so I think some of those, you know, uh, theater devices are kind of instilled. Um, but I teach spoken word classes and a lot of the the performance aspect of the spoken word uh, class that I teach, a lot of it is theater games. A lot of it is 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 theater uh, mechanisms. And so, yeah, if you're really interested, that would be my first suggestion is like a theater class. If you're like, okay, CR, but it's not that serious. I just need a quick tip right now. Um, I would say, get your poems and read them three different ways, right? The first way, read it like, you didn't write it. Read it like you've never heard this poem before. This isn't you who's reading it. You are a stranger who is reading a poem out loud. This doesn't have to be passionate. It just can't be you. You have to read this like you don't know it. The second person, the second uh, thing I want you to read it like is, is read it like a person who maybe feels the opposite of what you feel when you wrote this poem, right? Like who, who would read this poem and not love it? How would they read it? How does that change? How does the tone change? How does the escalation of the poem change? And then um, the third thing I would I would suggest that someone read it as is you know the emotion that you had when you wrote it. Now read it in the exact opposite of that emotion. If you were angry when you wrote this poem, read it joyously. If you were devastated. The emotion of this poem is devastated. Read it in a state of absolute euphoria. If if you are in a state of heartbreak, read it like you just fell in love. 
What does that do? And then I think sometimes we notice what we need to do when we're doing the opposite of it. That's something that I've, I've learned in all different types of educational purposes. It's like, no, because that's not what it should sound like. It should sound like, okay, well then, yeah, we'll change it. Change it. Now that you can actually hear what you think it should sound like based off what it shouldn't sound like, sometimes that helps in a cinch. Okay, that's awesome. That's really helpful. What's the first, when you walk into the classroom on the first day, what's the first thing you tell your students when you're trying to like summarize the class? One of the first things I tell everybody is that like, we're in this together. I'm going to learn some new things coming into this class. I'm going to learn new things as an educator. I'm going to learn new things as an artist. You are going to learn new things as a student. You are going to learn new things as an artist. Let's come into this space excited. I'm very much an adventurous type of girl. This can be whatever we want it to be. I tell my students, this is not just my class. This is our class. And it doesn't matter if I'm teaching a, 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 a actual you know, English class or I'm teaching a poetry class, I'm teaching a, a poetry workshop online, teaching a, a quick workshop with the MFA program. This is our class. I give people full autonomy and not just like adults, teenagers too. What is it that you want to learn? This is what I, I thought we were going to do for the day. But if I'm talking and something else interests you or you're like, hey, but could we do some of this? I am such an adaptable person. My life has kind of forced me to be, but it's, it's certain parts of that adaptability that's enjoyable. I feel like we all get to have a lot of the experience that we want when we come into my classroom. And I, I try to make sure they know that. Like, yeah, I came in here to teach something, but I also came in here to learn something. And I'm also a pretty good teacher. And if you, if you came in here, one of the things, I took so many writing workshops and I did so many retreats and so many like lectures and just set in on so much and sometimes I would be like and I and, and again I love I would not take back a single workshop or a single retreat that I've taken to date but there were times where I was like geez this is I thought I was going to get something else or I thought I was going to get a little more than this or I thought you were going to talk a little bit more on this given the description of the class and so I give space because I remember being like, dang, I knew, but I really wanted you to go more on form or I really wanted some more information on how to get an agent or I really, so I kind of, what do you want? What did you come into this class wanting from me and from this class? Because some people come into the class and they want something from the class, but sometimes people are like, no, you, you and your art, you and your connections. So I'm like, what is it that you really, what, let's talk about it. Let's be transparent. What do you want? And so once I open that up to, it's not just me here. I'm not just standing on a pedestal and we am talking at you that this is a communal conversation. We're talking together. I think that opens up my class to be like a little fairyland. We can go wherever we want and see ours class. And you can. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, do you see, like, do you see yourself as like a, a lens or a conduit for the for the world around you because the reason i'm asking is because you, you describe yourself as adaptable you feel big i think i think both of those things come through like talking to you and hearing you read is is that an accurate statement it is it's very much so and i i appreciate the observance um i do feel like so much of my poetry is observational in nature, a lot of it is talking about the world around me and what it is I'm experiencing, who is experiencing it with me. But it is absolutely me being a conduit for those experiences. For and this is this is I wanna I wanna be fair to to all the communities that I exist in, but I am a very intersectional person and a human. I'm I'm black, I'm queer, I'm a woman, I am 
I'm um, a part of the disabled community. I live with lupus. I am absolutely magic. And if people don't believe that is a culture, they are unhinged. So that is a culture. I am a part of the black nerd community and that is a culture. So it is so much happening in one person. And I think that when so much happens, I think people are used to boxing certain cultures in and being like, this is what I expect from this, 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 that. But when you see so many cultures combine and one person and one thing, I think you do, you don't have a choice, but to become a conduit for it all. And I, I'm okay with that. Okay. That's awesome. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe there's no answer to this then. I, I wasn't planning on asking this, but if you like, how would you describe yourself? Like, um, like, do you have do you have an identity that you're like, yes, this is what I am. This is who I am. Or is it not possible to do that? I think I am all of I'm all of those things and constantly discovering. I think my identity is like um, it's like a really good Lego set. I got a base. Right. Um, no, for no, sure. That's no, great. that's a great that's a great. I think I love that analogy. No, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> that's a great analogy. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> It's a, it's a really good Lego set and I have the base blocks and they fit and we all know that those are the strong bases and they're going to hold up. But the, the the higher up the hill I go, I kind of get fancy. I kind of start adding things and, and certain things happen. And I didn't know that that was a piece of me. I didn't even see that piece there, but now it's there and now it goes on top and it finds its way to connect. And, you know, so I really do think my, my, my identity is is set in a lot of ways. I'm such an astrology person. It's fixed in a lot of ways because um, I'm I'm super fixed. But it's also it also it's it's constantly getting added to. I, what I don't think is it ever gets taken away. I'm never any less black because I'm a nerd, or any less queer because I'm a a a, a, a black person. I'm never. I don't try to make nothing gets less. So it's not like okay, well that's less and that's less. These all things are equal and they just some things just keep happening sure yeah now i'm a garden nerd i didn't even know that that's also part of my identity i'm a gardener so it's like <laughs> you know i wasn't that before <laughs> which congratulations on the adoption of your new very great ho hobby <laughs> thank you so much thank you <laughs> so let's let's talk about let's talk about the epicness like the myth of of ciara because you your your work in draws in legend and pop culture so frequently and your the title of your book is Urbanshi. um and it's it's about so many things it's about i guess it's a crossroads as well it's a reflection of you um it's it's about self-empowerment and hope and reawakening but also times of crisis and pulling yourself out of the doldrums and failure and but you elevate everything to a level of myth that is so much bigger than where most people would start with it i think um, so I was hoping you could talk about the relationship between yourself and myth and how you go about capturing that when you're writing. It always felt bigger. It always felt bigger. Growing up, I grew up in a very urban area and I grew up living a very urban life, uh, hence Urbanshi. Um, and so I think I think with most kids, um, imagination, especially when you are, I am uh, the youngest of three girls and my sisters are older than me by quite a bit. So I was kind of raised like an only child. So I spent a lot of time alone. And so imagination was key to um, a lot of my development. And so I read a lot. I was a big reader. Um, and the the myths were were things that I immediately, immediately latched on to. It felt like I had already heard the Bible back and forth 
because I grew up a Baptist. Uh, so I'd already heard the Bible and heard all the stories in the Bibles. These felt new. When I heard about the Egyptian gods and the Greek gods and the Norwegian gods, like it just, it was a new, it felt like new stories, right? And then I got to looking at my hood differently, right? So the wino at the corner store, that's Dionysus. The girl that's bright in hair, that's beautiful on the porch with all her friends around her, that's Aphrodite and the nymphs. Like I began to see it and my world felt magical. It felt even the parts, and I say this to this day, even the parts that people, and it feels, sometimes it feels so corny. Oh, see the beauty in it or see the magic in it, but it's not like I'm forcing myself. For me, it's there. It's there. And I'm just, I just saw something that helped describe it. And so I think um, it being, it feeling so big, the way that I express these, these situations or these experiences is because for me, honestly, that's what it felt like. That's the best way as a writer, we, we use metaphors and similes to give other people an understanding of what it felt like, of what we saw. And that's what it felt like. That's what I saw. And those moments I felt like Cleopatra in those moments. I felt like my father was somewhere between Zeus and Hades in those moments. That's what I felt like. Sometimes I was Athena. Sometimes I was Aphrodite. Sometimes I was Hectate. Sometimes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's that's so nice because, I mean, for a lot of people, I think, you know, fantasy is is a form of escapism, right? Like, it's like, I I don't want to be here. I'd rather be there. But this is like elevating the corner store and saying, no, 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 no. That's the rocks the ship's going to crash into. Yes. Yes. And to look at these, and I think, at its, and this is this is something that I, I talked about um, recently in a lecture. At, at its base, myths are how, you know, humans, we tried to figure out the world around us, certain things. You're a scientist, how we tried to figure out science, how we tried to figure shit out. And so it's not like, when I'm creating these mythologies that I'm not doing what people have done for years. I'm trying to explain this hood experience that sociologists, I don't feel like have accurately explained that the hood movies haven't accurately explained that the rap songs haven't accurately explained. I am still trying to explain my life. People are like, I can't believe I'm like, yeah, sometimes me neither. So I'm trying to, I think, I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to explain. I'm trying to make sense of what happened to me and what happened to other people around me, right? Just like everybody else does, I think. I just think the way I do it might be interesting and might kind of be considered novelty due to all the intersections that I have. But yeah, I don't think I'm doing anything that humans haven't done for years and years. I think there's a lot to that because I think that uh, the reason when you start taking a science class, the first thing they have to do is teach you the scientific method, right? Like it's not the way you approach something analytically is not innate and it's not something that people turn to automatically. What they want to do is elevate it to myth. That's why people saw a volcano and they're not like, oh, that, you know, that's probably tectonic plates. What they thought was their God was mad at them. You know, and that's why all their crops are wilting. Precisely. We try to, it's so much in so many poems. And I, again, another lecture I was talking about, people are like, 
your God is interesting. The way that, that God is, is is talked about in the poems. And again, I'm a Baptist girl. I was I was raised in a very black Baptist space. I've read. I'm a reader. Lots of poets talk about God, despite the religion. God is a God is a pretty prevalent character in a lot of poets' work. What I've always thought was interesting is God kind of gets the tone of the writer, right? So it's like, are you you kind of vengeful and mad? Your God might be kind of vengeful and mad. You uber forgiven and you feel like your God might be forgiven. Sometimes my God is super ambivalent. And I and I read I read it back and it kind of scared me. Like I have one poem where um God is watching her banshee give birth and God at the end of it, God is like fine. Whereas the God in the original text is like good. This is good. My God is like fine, cool. <laughs> that's what happened her like it's this big dramatic creation story and my god is like yep bet <laughs> absolutely that's the thing that happened and i think um it's also goes back to what i was just saying about myth making and trying to explain like i didn't get angry i think a lot of people ask um when i talk about the trauma of losing my father and him being murdered and how much that is central to the book and people are like it doesn't seem like it's a lot of anger at the person who murdered him that seems to be missing people have noticed that people are like there is not any anger at god people people have noted a lot of things in my book that i'm like you're not my therapist i don't think you should ask me that at a q a but they do anyway people are wild um and i do have a therapist and she absolutely has asked me that and has prepared me for some of y'all's questions thank you very much um <laughs> well i'll just erase the next three questions for you that night <laughs> No, please. No, please. I actually, I do think it's cathartic for me in a way. When you, I think when you release so much of your actual history and your life, it's some anxiety that people have false notions and false conceptions. And so I don't mind a lot when people ask, because I'm like, no, let me set the story straight. Let me be clear where I was coming from, what this did, what I meant. And so I I, I never really am like, uh, cringe, but sometimes I'm like, well, I guess we're getting right to the nitty. I guess you are getting right to the nitty gritty. Um, but I, I was saying that to say, even that was, it's it's not a lot of anger there. It was a lot of, I'm pretty sure this is how the world works. And okay. And like trying to reconcile that, um, not just in my life, but in my poetry, like so much of these characters are like, we're here whether you like it or not things happen whether you like it or not this is a whether you like it or not story it's a whether you like it or not coming of age and there are moments that this this girl who is I who is the character there are moments where her banshee is like this this goddess this saving grace and there are moments where she is just like she's haunting the book like everything else is it's like she's just here this is a this is a happening um and I think we we as writers try to make rights and wrongs in our books and um this is the way I want people to think and this is the way I want people to feel and I'm like I'm just trying to figure it out some of these are my absolute opinions but and and some of these I feel very strongly about but so much of my myth making and so much of my poetry is me trying to figure it out whether it's my love life whether it's the 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 trauma of my murdered parent whether it is race homophobia transphobia in america it's me trying to figure it out and like you said like i i there's scientific methods which is why i also have therapy there's science behavioral <laughs> scientists who are like well no there are other ways outside 
outside of poetry that you can navigate this trying to understand. And that that helps. But I still love this. And it's a part of escapism. I still love myth-making and figuring out my world around me based off of what I see. And I see magic. So maybe that's why I like doing it because I do see magic. That's awesome. And, and you know, I I can definitely speak a little bit a little bit to uh the idea that like people stare at something they don't understand that process people process things differently because they get uncomfortable right like if you bring in you know something that they're not prepared for and they don't think that that's how you deal with something like for instance i tend to (laughs) approach very serious situations by making really dark jokes and I don't, I don't like doing it at the expense of others, but I will do it at the expense of myself. And so like, if I make a joke about like suicidal ideation or something, people, people listen to that and they're like, whoa, whoa, is that okay? And they look around, you can see them like, is that okay? Should he be saying that? But like, is that, is that really how he feels? Like, is it, it's not a big joke, is it? And it's like, well, no, it's just, it makes me feel better. That's how I feel better going about it. And I try not to put people in a situation where they're uncomfortable, but at the same time, if they want to be in that space with me when I'm processing, that's what they've got to deal with. Baby, okay, well then, yeah, you just read a poem out of my book. Dark humor, dark humor is a is a survival mechanism, is a coping mechanism that has gotten me through. It has. I have made so many dead daddy jokes at my own expense on stage and off of stage. And I've watched audience get really awkward and uncomfortable. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Is your father murdered? Did you just do eight poems about it? I'm sorry. I'm allowed to like, I can make it. I I think I'm allowed to. And I I do appreciate, again, like what you said, not doing it at anyone else's expense, obviously, but this is my, this is my life. This is, this is my, and, and, and to alleviate weight off of our shoulders, we often laugh or cry. I don't feel like crying in a room full of people. Right. So, so I think I'm going, I think, and I also think if I'm to be absolutely fair, you also like horror. We were talking about this. I like horror. You like fantasy. I think our personalities are aimed more towards, you know, towing that darker line. Like I tell people, I'm, my mother calls me the black girl Wednesday Adams. Like, yeah, it reads. (laughs) It, my mother, the woman who birthed me, it reads because it's like, that wasn't funny to you? Well, that that was hilarious to me. That was, I thought that was great. There has never been a moment that Wednesday Adams has spoken a sentence where I have not been in complete, when I tell you from the comic strips to the television shows to the cartoons, every word that character has said, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the one. So it's like, I do, I think part of it is absolutely coping mechanisms, a trauma response, but I also think some of it is like personality type. And I think, you know, there's nothing we, there's a character in shows that are like that. There is always a darker, drier sense of humor that is around and we need that. That's, you know, that's a part of the lexicon. So I'm glad we exist with our dark jokes. Likewise. I I wouldn't, I would go crazy without it. (laughs) Same. (laughs) So when when it comes to so, so you know not to nix all of your father questions uh, but when it you know when it comes to your father uh, like how has this collection helped you get to where you are today like how have you used it and how do you feel looking back on it Wow it's been 15 years it's been 15 years in the making I I tell people this last year was super it was super rough cuz I've officially but I thought it was like you ever had something that just lined up so perfectly you were like this is 
strange. This is so strange. So the year a banshee comes out is the year that I have officially had more years without my father than years with him. It really felt like the closing of a chapter and an opening of a new space. Um, and I have been asked before. I'd had many collections, many chapters. I have been asked. I was lucky enough to have been asked to be published to, for whatever reason enough life, the company, me, whatever was going on. It just wasn't time. It wasn't time because I wasn't. I'm still going to I'm going to write about my father forever. I talk about that all the time. It's always going to because the fact of the matter is he'll always be murdered. Nothing can change that. Some people's poems got to change because life changes. Not me. I can write about the same thing forever. People be jealous about that. People are so weird. They're so weird. They're like, <laughs> like, dang, you got the murder dad. You don't never got to change your writing topic. I'm like, I know it's wild. But I choose to write about cartoons. See how great I am? <laughs> um, no, because there's always going to be instances where I'm going to feel that, where I'm going to miss him, where I'm going to, where it's, I have a whole poem dedicated to that notion um, is that, this is a forever thing. This is a forever thing. Um, but to to be able to say what I wanted to do, to give him, I'm such a crap baby, to give him the same amount of years that he gave me felt poetic. I spent the same amount of time raising this book that you were able to raise me. I spent 15 years traveling the country, traveling the world, saying that, you gonna be a drug dealer that they remember in full and not not how you die not necessarily even why you die because people are like we still don't know we know he was a drug dealer we know he got shot i'm like this is none of your business go to google you that thirsty it's public record but i don't even go and discuss all of that because for me that wasn't the story the story was who he was who he meant to his daughter who he was as a what beyond his occupation, what it is that I lost, right? And how important it was to me. I've always been, again, lucky enough to be complimented on charisma. And so I'm like, I am such a reflection. I'm such my dad's kid. Everything you like about every laugh I get, every every room, where I, it's what he did. He did that. This is his legacy. There was not a barbecue, a fish fry that my father wasn't the funniest dude, wasn't the one that was talking, wasn't the one with the comic book, sports, nerd facts, wasn't the one every time. And so to continue that legacy, but also to be able to give him so much dedicated time and art and respect and make other people see a fuller picture and, and see him through through my words, through through my eyes. It felt like a gift back. And of course, kids, I mean, you have kids. We'll never be able to repay our parents. Y'all kind of trapped us. Like you, you always have one up on us. You've always done more. It's kind of like a, a situation where I can never truly pay you back. Unless I get super, super, super rich and like buy you an island or something. Like you probably won. You, you, you raised me. You gave birth when I was sick, when I couldn't do anything. You did those things. He did those things as a parent, but he did so much more. And my father, people were like, you know, it's, truth or not like it's it's hard to you know it feels it feels hard to say but at the same time he still has my back so much of my money so much of my career is based off of our life it's not just my life it's his life our life he is still helping to feed his daughter <laughs> he is still sending his daughter to norway he's still doing that and i think he wouldn't have wanted it any other way it's beautiful and if 
if you if if you know your life is a Lego set, does that make him the base plate? Like, is he the he bottom such, piece that everything's built on? He's such a big, he's such a big piece of that. He is such a big piece of that base. Uh, my mother is there, bless her. God is there, bless God. Um, my my blackness is there, bless my blackness. Queerness is there, bless it. But my father is such a huge part of that base. He is so much of what instilled the pride in all of those things. My father was the person I came out to. My father was the person who put Malcolm X's autobiography, Asada Shakur's biography in my hand. You know, that's who my dad was. My dad was also the person who put Iceberg Swim in my hand and let me watch Boys in the Hood when I was eight. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. I also learned how to play poker at 10. So it's a double-edged sword. There's some, some conversation to be happening there. But, <laughs> but uh, so much of that he helped, like, me learn to celebrate and to embrace. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's, that's lovely i mean that's i mean when you when you have a discussion about life i mean that's usually how you want those discussions to go um <laughs> right I, no go ahead go ahead i'm sorry <laughs> no i'm saying right no that feels good to hear that from a dad like that's how you want those discussions to go like he he really was a base and i think uh i think that's what most parents want you know and i think that given my career and um the talent that the that god has given me I'm able to express that readily. But I think that that's most, how most um, kids who really love their parents, I tell people that's also my demographic. People are like, what is your demographic when you're writing? I'm like, well, um, black people, queer people, nerds, um, the children of criminals, um, but also people who really love their parents. Like I, if you really, <laughs> like my most viral poems are about my father and my mom like it is literally and that's something I love for myself I'm like yeah some people's poems that they're most famous are about themselves or about love about politics nah <laughs> it's for my mom and dad <laughs> just for my mom <laughs> people are like why are you traveling because I really love my mom <laughs> I think she's so cool because <laughs> I really love my dad <laughs> whole lot so I'm like I totally my demographic is people who really 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 like their parents yes so. or want to or want to right or or like no holler at me oh I love that thank you Jeremy or people because like I get into my mother's flaws and I get into my father's flaws because I want them to be whole people so much of my poem is saying I love you anyway not just I love you I love you anyway despite no matter what anyone else says, no matter your shortcomings, no matter what you do, I see how much you were there for. I see how I see that you chose me. Even if I don't feel like it was the move I would have made, I see how you move for me and mine. And like, I don't know, that feels fun. That feels like a fun CR tidbit when I tell people, I'm like, what's really cool is I'm not famous for any political love or I'm not famous for any of that shit. None of it. That's not why I went viral. Millions of people just know I like my mom. Millions of people just know I miss my dad. That's oh, it. That's crazy adorable. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's uh, it. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, is, is that you use throughout all your writing is repetition. I mean, when when I listen to you read, I feel you dig your heels into the mud a little bit more, a little bit more every single time you go back to that well. And um, like, 
you you have the poem on your mom yo mama jokes like that that's that's really that, that's i think that's the most obvious example but it's literally everywhere so yeah. i was hoping you could talk about that repetition is fun i love repetition repetition is fun like i said i love uh i love mythology i love folklore i love folk tales um it's a big part of the african-american like oral history experience the whole bro rabbit the whole going down south and hearing about tar baby and shit and a lot of that revolves repetition a lot of that revolves repetition i think even down to like um I used to want to study linguistics when I was in college. I used to want to study a lot of stuff, but um, I wanted to focus. I really consider myself like the modern day God. I really thought I was going to be like the modern day Zora Neale Hurston. And I was going to like travel the country studying black language and etymology of like slang words. And I really had, I, and I'm not saying I won't, but I really used to just have this dream of backpacking barefoot. I don't, again, we all have our dreams. So I say that to say, one of the things that I thought was really brilliant when I was writing a paper, um, proposing it to one of my teachers to like write a grant for something, I was like, you know what I love? Black nicknames. How we double up on that shit depending on how exuberant the kid is. <laughs> <laughs> because you got Ray Rays, you got Man Mans, you got Day Days, you got KKs, you got CCs, because I'm a CC right and it typically i tell people i tell especially white people i'm like think about alvin and the chipmunks right how like when dave is, is screaming everybody's name is like Al, like simon theodore so then that is the black equivalent of having a double name it's emphasis it's emphasis it's like, like that's how you know you the shit starter it's emphasis it is emphasis to be like this is the one right and so like that notion of, of repetition even like in my black like my mother used to be like don't make me come upstairs it's not like a just it, you knew don't make me come upstairs that's nothing girl i'm not thinking of. don't make me come upstairs don't make me come upstairs that's that makes you get into action that's one that you know count that's the one she means so it's like repetition especially in a black community is such a way to show your passion what you're serious about what like needs to be made bigger what people really need to walk away with right and um yeah so I think again it's inherent in my language and how I speak but I think I love it so much I think it's a part of language that I love so much that I do it and I'm glad that you noticed that I love well because I notice things that other writers do so I love when writers pick up on like little stuff that I do like oh this girl she love her some repetition I do and it's it's purposeful and it's technical and it, it it's like I'm not just I won't just repeat for for repetition's sake um and it shows on the page it shows with the line breaks it shows with the comments and it also shows when I read it no I'm not just this is a completely I'm saying it's completely different than how I said it the first three times and um one of the one of the poems that I do that I absolutely love where repetition is at um because I do think it also tells a story in itself um I talk about how I descend I am a descendant of a scream talking about um my ancestors how my great my great grandmother is is a scream who had a scream there was a scream there was a scream there was a scream there was a scream right so it's this many generations of black women screaming, right? And that that is telling a story, the story of America, without me having to sit up here and tell you the whole story of America. You know why they were screaming in the 1800s. You know why they were screaming in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. You know why they were screaming in Reconstruction. 
you know that. And so I think that is some of the, the technicality and the fun in language and how you can show your expertise as a writer. I can say what I have to say and you can know exactly what I mean. And I can say the same shit over and over and over again. But you are smart enough to know that this same thing changes context, even if it's constant. And I love being able to notice that because I'm also big on the world repeats itself. Cycles are cycles, patterns are patterns. I love I I love an Easter egg moment. I'm a nerd. I love a moment where like, oh, that shit. I saw that shit from last. I saw that over there. I saw that. That happened. I love that. I sit through a whole fucking movie just to do that. I'm such a weird. I would sit through a whole movie. Just I watched Mario Brothers and was like, mm, well, I have to go. I got to play with my Switch after this so I can identify exactly everything that I've seen. Right. So that that kind of repetition. I think matters because what what again for the sake of being a nerd what that what that easter egg what what that thing was in its movie means something it, it gives context to this easter egg in this movie it's like okay well then obviously they share this world now and if they share this world does this person go here this person what i mean to say is repetition in any form seeing something come back in any form is interesting to me Patterns are interesting to me. And to do that with language, which is one of my favorite things in the world, it's just fun to do. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. I mean, I think that, I, th I think I, I really identify with that stuff too, because I, I like recognizing, like, the whole point of having data is to find patterns in the data. And I think that poetry can give you that same joy, provided the writer is having fun with it. You know, like the, the writer's doing yeah. it on purpose. Uh, that if you're recognizing patterns that they're not doing well, that's less fun. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's true. I I need to I, I I definitely need to ask you. You are new. You're the the, the poet laureate of of Cleveland Heights. Um, you've been in this role for a bit now. Um, and you've already accomplished quite a bit. You've got. I, I don't want. I don't want to give it all away. So, what are you working on? And and how has this role been unfolding for you? Well, I love it. I love it. Um, it's really cool. Um, I love the board. Rachel's great. Um, she runs Heights Arts, who are the people who officiate and get us together with the cities. It's the first time University Heights has ever had a poet laureate. So I'm the University Heights poet laureate and the Cleveland Heights poet laureate. So that's really cool to be University Heights first ever poet laureate. We've been doing Ephrastases. Um, we are lining up. I actually have a few few things that are coming up. We have a fall fest that is coming up that I can't wait for. Uh, and I'm pitching some ideas that I can't all the way discuss yet that I've discussed with you previously. I am pitching some ideas because we are um, talking about some grant opportunities and I want to bring some immersive, interactive poetry events that everybody from all age groups, all demographics, all, all cultures can enjoy um, equally. Yeah. So. It's, it's going great. I love it. I like it. Um, I thought I was, it sounds so corny. Everybody wants to be something when they grow up. But when I was little, like I heard Maya Angelou was a poet laureate and like most young black girl poets, I was fucking obsessed with Maya Angelou. And so I was like, one day I want to be poet laureate. And I am. And so that's really fucking cool. I'm that's really cool. <laughs> you have a short your bucket list is growing shorter what are you going to add to it <laughs> I don't know it's about to start getting unhinged it's about to start like I'm about to start like jumping full like full into freezing cold ponds into Norway like it's about to get really adrenaline rushy in a minute that's what I see coming that or I'm that or it's time for me to become a mom one of the two one of the two I mean they're gonna have to settle down or I'm about to start jumping like off of cliffs I'm about to start exploring the depths of the ocean 
it reminds me of um it's always sunny in philadelphia where danny devito as frank reynolds like he's he's a like a wealthy businessman he started this company and then he moves into this apartment living in squalor with this mentally disabled guy you know this illiterate and and they're like what are you doing frank and he's like i don't know how many years i have left and i'm gonna get real weird with it <laughs> That's- yes. listen first of all i have a gemini moon and 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 boredom is real and i just want people to acknowledge that boredom is real and it is a dangerous dangerous thing i I think life should be full of experiences. And if life starts giving me the same experiences, I'm going to switch it up. I don't blame Danny DeVito. I'm going to switch it up. I am going to have a little bit of something new. The moment, and I think that's, I think also writing, right? I think that's a big part of how I write. People are like, so you're writing plays and also writing advertising jingles and commercials. I'm like, I don't know. I'm thinking about writing a young adult novel. I don't know. Might do a comic. Whatever I want. I don't know. And it's like, do I expect to be? I think so many people, once you once you are in a career that's in the arts, you kind of get up and it's so funny. It's not funny because capitalism isn't funny. It's driving us all insane. But it is a little unhinged that arts like are the only like occupation where like we really truly the need to be very, very good at our jobs is wild. Like we do not, no one wants to be a mediocre poet, but mediocre doctor, I'm not the best brain surgeon in the fucking country. I'm like in the upper percentile, but I'm not the best. Poets can't live like that. Painters can't live like that. Photographers can't, we are on this desperate urge to feel like we are doing our job so 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 good which again I'm not saying that we should not be I think everybody should want to do or be good at their job but I also think this idea of not being great at everything you do is also okay um and if you never try things like I tell my high schoolers it's like sometimes I listen to adult artists and I'm like did no one give you to talk in high school did you need a miss cc to say it's okay to try new things and if you're not good at them but you like them you can still do them and that's okay and you don't have to get an award every time you do something you can just do it and I'll still validate you and tell you it's nice like I don't think enough artists have that and I I don't have it a lot I do it to myself so that's why I think I'm very content with how I do it but I, I try to do it with other artists often I'm like hey you want to I had a friend that was like it looks so fun you just taking pictures with your camera you I'm like you want to you want to be you want to take pictures you want to you know I'm a visual artist I got a gallery coming up why don't you why don't you put some of your photo prints make some photo prints and put it in between your mixed media art because I'm not a photographer why not <laughs> it's like a little devil wire some pictures right here you've got pictures in your hand <laughs> It's very much so. I literally, I'm nobody's, but I put clouds on my wall because why not? Am I an architect? No. Am I going to start, like, am I about to become a TikTok sensation and I'm building fantasy lands for everybody in their home offices? No. But I wanted to see, I wanted to see if I could. And I think so much of of writing for me is experimental, a lot of it. Um, Seeing what I can do and how far I can stretch. Yeah. Those are load-bearing clouds. Those are... <laughs> They're fun clouds. They have lights on them. I uh, When I plug it in, the LED lights turn them colors, and they like kind of look like lightning, and they thump to music. 
That's ridiculous. Awesome. That's awesome. Ridiculous. <laughs> I'm absurd all the time. <laughs> uh, so for, for my last question, I want to ask you about, you're working on a new collection. It's based on cartoons. So uh, just where where this project begin and how has it evolved over time? It's so exciting. I'm so glad you, when I read this question, I was like, yes, yes, it's the beginning. People are starting to ask me about the new collection. Um, So favorite, favorite thing in the world, animation, animators, voice actors. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm an animation nerd, always have been. And one of the things that I think is very interesting in general is how much cartoons and animation affects children's psyches well into adulthood. My generation is the perfect example of that with just capitalism. The way they sell us back our childhoods is fucking hilarious. It works for me. I need it because I'm there. I'm like, yeah, give my grown ass a grown ass Nickelodeon shirt. Like the amount of, of, of Alice in Wonderland smoking weed with tattoos is unhinged. Like it is unhinged. How much they are trying to market towards this generation that is so immersed in animation and these 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 archetypes and these characters that that kind of helped mold us. Um, I don't think it's anything that's particularly brand new. And I love to research. I love I love to get obsessed with something and read about it and 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 dig through the the archives of it and and find things. So it was like me and cartoons is a perfect match. Um, and so I decided to look at cartoons because I wanted to narrow down this idea because it's probably going to end up a series of books. Like I told people, I don't know, you might get different chat books in between these books, but like for the next couple of years, be looking forward to C.R. Freeman looking at the world through a lens of cartoons, right? Because I don't think this is going to be a manuscript that I can get down in one book. So I think the first two books are going to be through one through a black lens, black cartoon characters historically from the thirties when they first appeared till now, what that impact looks like on race, what it looks like on uh, the black community, what it looked like for black animators, black voice actors, um, what that looked like, then do the same thing for uh, queer, queer uh, uh, animation and queer animators and queer voice actors. And, and then, and then again, I'm like, I'm still not done, right? Because then I have to have a book because I'm trying to decide, and it's such a struggle, right? With, and I feel like I, I say this with other writers. Sometimes we're like, there, there are so many ways to write a poetry book, but one way is to be like, I'm taking myself out of this thing. This is going to be a historical context. I'm going to write from this. So I'm very tempted, but I'm such a CR and I have so many thoughts and I live so, and I'm like, I so desperately want me and how I reacted and how my interactions with these cartoons were. And and with my particular audience, I think sometimes that's what they're interested in. And so it's like having that juggle and that balance and trying to figure out where am I going to just be like, this is, these are the facts. This is what happened. Here's my observational take. And it's like, hey, this is this is this latchkey kids particular viewpoint on what the rugrats look like. This is this particular latchkey kids like viewpoint. Um, and cartoons are just God. They're the best of social commentary. Like we we look back, we figure shit out, we hate shit, we, the shit that we loved five minutes ago. It's like it's the perfect. It's it's what humans do, and it's just such a fun way to talk about all the things that we talk about in poetry. Anyway, yeah, I'm gonna talk about love, but it's so much 
fucking more interesting when I can talk about it for me anyway, through the viewpoint of Disney and their bullshit love archetypes. Like that's more fun to me, right? Um, and it's it's really great. So it's especially with these black and queer characters that's what i'm focusing on right now the book is going to be called scheduled programming by the way um and the plan is to have part one scheduled programming interrupted at the end of the book and then part two be we return to your scheduled programming um and so <laughs> it's nasty and so like and everything will be like channels like instead of chapters and titles it'll be like channels and shit and so <laughs> it's like it's fun so much of urbanshi was necessary and passionate and took a lot out of me to write and some of some of this obviously with the race and the 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 the, the homophobia and transphobia that has happened in animation some of this is, is going to be hard people are going to be like holy shit scrooge mcduck did you know that scrooge mcduck got all his money from going to africa and starting a rubber plantation no yeah i'm gonna ruin people's fucking lives like so yeah right like, <laughs> the true thing that was the comic that was the original comic strip right so it's, it's things like that this isn't gonna be just a girl who's like so it's gonna be like it's gonna be some shit that's gonna blow people's head back and people are gonna be this is the book that i fully intend people to go give me one second while she's reading i need to google this shit this is the book that i fully intend to lose people in the readings i want people to go no nah, no nah, she can keep saying whatever the fuck it is she's saying but i need to google whether or not that's true right and i think it's so many things that we are not privy to that we don't know about that like cartoons have kind of unlike some things that are problematic cartoons except for the obvious ones have skated have kind of gotten through and like doing this kind of call out to my favorite thing because it's going to be done with so much love because they're my favorite thing the same way I was able to identify the hood and call it out in my book despite it being my favorite thing, it's the same passion I'm going to bring to this book, right? So it's not going to be all rainbows and daisies, but it's going to be some things where it's like, yeah, seeing Susie Carmichael on Rugrats changed my life. But then you're also going to have to know Scrooge McDuck owned a rubber plantation. Like it's just going to have to be a balance of those two things. And I just, I feel like that's going to be a fun space to be in after writing from a space of my own experience so much. Um, and I just think that, panels and lectures will be way more fun it will feel less like therapy and more like a chit chat with my friends like on the couch like you know and so I just look forward to that as a writer I've seen other writers have lectures and features like that and I just I want to taste it I want to know what that feels like so oh that's awesome scheduled programming <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to that book <laughs> thanks dude this was so fun I love this <laughs> <laughs> me too me too could you please read us a poem Yes, I will. I will read us a poem. I will read us a poem. Let us see. Uh, I want to find something. We were talking about repetition. And I want to find the poem that I was talking. Ah, yes. It's called The Such Thing as a Ridiculous Question. From repetition. The such thing. So I got, I'm sorry. So when you give MFA lectures, and you are very urban, like I am, and you do not feel the need to code switch or hide your urbanness because they've already booked you for your work and your resume. You do not feel the need to do so. Um, and they will sometimes be very, very shocked. It is very much the ask the Black girl why she's so articulate question. Um, it's especially that, God, this shout out to Ohio, but shout out to Cleveland and the surrounding areas. When you say you are from Cleveland, 
um, especially at these Ivy League MFA places, like that is akin to just being from, a, they just like, that is, I'm so sorry. I do apologize. <laughs> they automatically assumed I was raised on Martha's Vineyard. And then they meet me and go, that can't possibly, but you wrote so well. I'm not under, it's a disconnect. So here is where this poem came from. The such thing as the ridiculous question. So where are you from? When I say ancestors, let's be clear. I mean slaves. I'm talking Tennessee cotton and Louisiana sugar. I mean grave dirt. I come from homes and marriages named after the same type of weapon. All it takes is a shotgun to know I'm black. I don't got no secrets. A bullet ain't told. Danger see me and sit down somewhere. I'm a direct descendant of last words and first punches. I got stolen blood. My complexion is America's darkest hour. You can trace my great, 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 great grandmother back to a scream. I bet somewhere it's a haint with my eyes. My last name is a protest, a brick through a window in a house my bones built. One million scabs from one scar. Heavy is the hand that held the whip. Black is the back that carried this country. And when this country's palm gets an itch, I become money. You give this country an inch and it will take a freedom. You can't talk slick to this legacy of oil scalps. You can't spit on my race and call it rain. I sound like my mama now, who sound like her mama. Who sound like her mama? 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 Who sound like a scream? And that's why I am so loud. Remember? You want to know where I'm from? Easy. Open a wound and watch it heal. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That that was a wonderful read. Um, thank you so much for this interview and thank you for doing us the honor of being, this is our 50th episode and <laughs> I'm really Congratulations. happy. Congratulations. <laughs> no, 50 is no small feat. That is fantastic. I'm super proud of the Ohio Poetry Association. I'm super proud of you, Jeremy. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. But the pleasure is all mine. And um, I, I don't want to do like the whole Oscar speech thing, but like to everybody, like literally to everybody who's given me, it's like sacrificed their time up till now to like do these episodes. I, but I'm I'm just really happy to have you here for, the, for that. that uh, uh, pleasure. This was a joy. Send me gardening pictures. Oh, I absolutely will. <laughs> we have, I have quite a few. <laughs> okay. So this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And, and Sierra, I can't thank you enough. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.